Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Thank you, Pastor. Well, my wife's not going to be here tonight, so Pastor Tom decided that he would be the mic runner tonight, so very graciously uh, accepted that. Thank you, Pastor. Um, so... Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us live stream. If you guys could and remember, with the live stream, there's always an opportunity to share what's going on with your friends on social media. So I would ask you now and in future uh, messages, if you could share our, our live streams, then we can get whatever the Lord's doing out further um, than inside the walls of the church. So last week we started Ruth. Um, let's see, we, uh, we talked about the timeline that, that was set by uh, Josephus about how this was uh, taking place um, during the, the judge of Eli's time, which was also during the uh, Philistine oppression um, before Samuel. And so that's one timeline. Uh, we're going to come across some other t- uh, timelines uh, uh, th- tonight, actually, um, with the lineage of Boaz. And we also talked about uh, the meaning of names and how important it was. Um, so we're going to continue on with that tonight with the different meanings, uh, the different names used for God and how um, that reflects his character in uh, different situations. And we also discussed um, the locations that this was going on. Um, was a very small area. We, we talked about how if, you know, if, uh, if Bethlehem was in Carolina Beach, then Moab would be as far away as Hampstead, which is really brings it kind of close to home. Um, Bethlehem was only about uh, five miles south of Jerusalem, and um, Moab was only about 30 miles away from there, so it's a pretty close uh, proximity, and a lot of things happening, and a lot of uh, different uh, peoples, people groups, um, understandings of God, Um, so... Trying to pull up um, Ruth. The new messianic version, which highlights the names of the of the characters in this story, has the books in a different order. It's the the uh, Hebrew uh, Bible order, so it's not easy easy to find Ruth. All right, so tonight um, we're going to be in chapter 2. And the Lord really led me in an interesting direction this week. I was not expecting it. Um, And chapter 2 starts off with Naomi and Ruth again. Now, the last time we saw Ruth, 
she was making a declaration to Naomi. She was saying that um, I will go where you go, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She's declaring a new identity. She's accepting this new identity with her mother-in-law now. And she's leaving her old life behind and going into a new direction on faith alone. Uh, we talked about what a woman had to look forward to in the time of the judges. Uh, we went over last week about Judges chapter 19. There was a story of a, um, some relationships there that were very uh, just, um, yes, it was just very unfortunate situation for women. Their relationships are very volatile in the time of Judges, um, so they really didn't know what to expect. Um, so here in chapter two, we come back to Naomi and Ruth uh, interacting again, and, and, and it says, now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So Naomi says, all right, my daughter, now, she, now She's accepted her as her family now. She's her daughter. And you're going to see now that she's been adopted into Naomi's uh, family. And there's going to be a lot of um, privilege that's going to come along with that adoption. A lot of uh, things that are only afforded to family members um, Ruth is going to be able to uh, partake in. So when she says she wants to go out into the fields with the harvesters, the Lord had set something in place, and we discussed this uh, last week, he, and Pastor Tom found the, the scripture for us. It was, um, 20, it was in uh, Leviticus 23, 22, but it's also in Leviticus 19, 9. And it's really important to pay attention to times when the Bible repeats itself. Generally, that means this is, this is, uh, this is an important uh, topic. So we can start in Leviticus 19.9. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. And then he goes on and repeats that same thing in Leviticus 23 two. He says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of the fields. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the for foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So this is really important uh, to, for, for the Israelites to follow this 
rule. And we talked about it last week, and we are, I was asking a question about, is there places in your life where you allow for others to glean for, um, from what you're um, harvesting, in, whether it's in your, your work life or anything like that? And I was just, we're going to have an opportunity to, um, I wanted this to be interactive, so if you can, if you have anything that you thought of over the week where uh, this is applicable to your life, you, you, now uh, I was wondering if you could share it with us. So if anybody has anything, well, think about it, and we can come back to that. Just think about where in your life you're allowing for other people to glean. So this is where it kind of got weird for me. When we got to the point where it says, and it, as it happened, some translations say it just so happened. Oh, by the way, it just happened to be that she found herself in this field of Boaz. And it started me on this journey of chance. Is there anything, uh, is, there, is there chance? So let's look at uh, James 1, verse 17. I can find James 1. All right, it's right after Hebrews. Uh, and uh, it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Whatever is good and perfect. So, this is obviously a situation that is good and perfect situation for Ruth. Um, let's see what Romans 8, 28 says. 8, 28. And we know what God causes, we know, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those. So this is starting to sound like there's not necessarily an opportunity for chance. Um, and let's see what, Proverbs says, says about chance in Proverbs 16. And as we go through these, it's going to become more and more apparent. Proverbs 16. Uh, verse 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Okay, that's very, very straightforward. He, did, he determines our steps. Um, Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, 
you may throw the dice, some say you may cast lots, but the Lord determines how they fall. So there is a definite indicator that there is no chance in life. Okay, it didn't just so happen. So every time you see this in scripture, it just so happened, you know that the Lord is the only option. There was no outside influences. It was his design that put this in motion. Um, One more scripture. Psalms uh, 139, 16. And this is a Psalm of David. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Every day of my life was recorded and every moment was laid out. That's pretty specific. I mean, that's, there is no way you can, you can look at that and say, oh, but he probably didn't mean, no. He put it in place. Now, where does that put us, if there is no chance, how does that work with the free will? And that's where the question is. That's where the rub is, is God has set all this in motion. Where does free will work? And this is where things got a little interesting for me because I've been able to reconcile this personally. And I'm not sure if, if all of you have been able to reconcile this. I know some people's faith is strong enough where they can just accept that these things exist together. And that is, and that is an amazing uh, gift of the Holy Spirit to have that faith. Some people haven't quite figured out how you balance this out. This is my take on this and, it, and it's a short lesson in physics. So I don't know if any of you are interested in physics, but we're gonna have a physics lesson on how, how no chance and free will can exist. And it's based, it's based on an experiment called Young's Double Slit Experiment. It's called Young's Double Slit Experiment. And he did it in the 1800s. And this experiment came, came to my attention a long time ago, but it was just recently brought to my attention again last week. So it's really interesting. It just so happened to come up last week. So in Young's experiment, he has, um, okay, so matter is little particles stuck together, right? So say you had a bunch of, imagine uh, the carnival. You have those BB guns. You're shooting one of those BB guns at the carnival that just shoot wild. They shoot in one general direction, but they kind of shoot wild, right? And the premise of this is if you have something, a target that you're shooting it at, a flat surface that will record every impact, and you put a barrier in front of that with two slits in it, okay? So with this, this wild uh, spray of BBs, some of them are going to bounce off, and some of them are going to make it through those slits. And as they go through those slits, they mark the back, the back target. And what you'll end up with is you'll end up with two lines. 
that are kind of darker in the middle and then get lighter as you go out. Just that's, that's just the properties of, of how it works. So he thought, Young thought, well, what is it like if I shoot an electron through one of those slits? Because we know what uh, BBs are little chunks of steel. They're substantial. We can see them. But what about something that is a fundamental building block of matter? So he shoots, he starts, he figures out a way to shoot electrons through these slits. And what he, he was expecting to see were these two bands, because matter is real, it exists, it's a point particle at the time, but he did not see two slits. What he saw was multiple slits, and that's what you call uh, wave interference. So it was as if the particle itself was not a particle, but imagine like an ocean wave, how it's long and it moves forward all at the same time. So it was actually a wave of what he called possibilities. So it proved that particles acted like waves. So these are, this is that one particle was in all of these positions all at the same time. And those waves interacted with each other. And that's what created the multiple bands. So this was an amazing experiment. It showed that everything was, who knew what was real and what wasn't real. It was just, it started this whole new, uh, this whole new uh, uh, idea, concept in physics. Well, later on, as scientific abilities grew, they thought, well, now we have the capabilities of actually measuring which slit the electron goes through. We can sense it, we can measure it, we can find it, and we can watch which slit the electron goes through. So they set up all their instruments, and they start the test, and the particles created two solid bands. They didn't get the multiple bands that they had been getting for hundreds of years. They got two solid bands like you would see from shooting the BB gun through it. And what this showed was that human interaction, human consciousness solidified that possibility. It solidified that particle to a specific place because we could measure it, we could interact with it, we could see it. It now had a purpose and a place and it was no longer a possibility, it was real. So human interaction, our consciousness made it real. It was no longer a possibility. So in this, God created something so amazing. He created all possibilities to exist all at the same time. Now, this is a concept that is very difficult to us to, for us to comprehend because we're linear thinkers. We live in time, but God lives outside of time. So his ways are much greater than our ways. But he managed to create all possibilities, and they all lead to his good. 
and our consciousness is, affects what we experience. So we have the free will to experience those possibilities that he already set forth. So that's how I can reconcile, that's how I see no chance and free will existing together because there are limitless possibilities and they all work for his good. So there's your uh, short little physics lesson today. Um, so we talked about how she's a daughter and she's been accepted into, his, into her family. We talked about how nothing happens for chance. Now there are other, uh, um, there are other times in the Bible when this, uh, it just so happened, happens. Um, we have an instance in Acts 28 with Paul as he's shipwrecked. In Acts 28, verse eight, we see there was a purpose behind his shipwreck. So in Acts 28, verse eight, so he, there, they, the ship broke apart, they all made it, they escaped, they made it to shore, and they're on the shore, and in eight it says, as it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery, and Paul went and prayed for him and laid hands on him and healed him, and then all the other sick people in the island came and were healed, and as a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Just so happened. <laughs> and in First uh, Samuel twenty-four three, is the interaction with um, Saul and David. And it just so happened. First Samuel twenty-four three. Saul, close, uh, where is it? it? At the place where the road passes from sheepfolds, Saul went into a, a cave to relieve himself. And as it happened, or just so happened, that David and his men were hiding in that very cave. So there's so many instances in the Bible where there are no other explanation except that God had designed it for such an occasion. All that came out of uh, the first three verses. <laughs> so we move on, um, Ruth chapter four, and we're gonna go through 17. Ruth chapter two, verse four through 17. So while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted his harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. 
She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Now Boaz went out and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us. And when you gather grain, do not go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. And Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know that about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, I have heard how you left your father and mother and how your own land, your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with her, his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat, and she ate all she wanted and still had some left over. And when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young man, let her gather grain right among the sheaths without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket, which is about 20 quarts or five gallons. So here we have Ruth meets Boaz. And Boaz is so kind to her because of what she's done. So he calls her again, he calls her daughter. And this isn't just a t title of honor, but it granted her privileges that only a real daughter of the family would receive. This is where we see Boaz adopting her as part of Naomi's family as well. So Boaz, this is uh, also where we talk, where we, where we see a kind of a different a possible timeline because we see where Boaz came from. Um, in the lineage of Jesus listed in Matthew chapter one, it says that Boaz's mother was Rahab. And Rahab was the prostitute that helped the Israelite spies. So he was the son of a prostitute. And not only was she a prostitute, but she was a Gentile or a foreigner as well. So she wasn't under the law, she wasn't one of God's people, and she was a prostitute, and he's growing up in this household. But here we see him following God's laws, being kind and generous, so he 
came from a, a home, and let's look at what Let's look at what the Bible says about the Israelites' relationship with prostitutes. Um, in Genesis 34, verse 31, is a story of Simon and Levi, one of the 12 brothers, two of the 12 brothers. Genesis 34, 31. And this is a story where they take revenge because their sister had been taken and defiled. And the two, the two men completely slaughtered uh, every man in the town uh, that had of Shechem. And they say in uh, 31, but why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They retorted angrily. So they started out, this was, this was the, the sons of Jacob before they became the nation of Israel, they already had a bad taste in their mouth um, for prostitution. And then we get into the law in Leviticus uh, 1929. It says, do not defile your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will be filled with prostitution and wickedness. And then in just uh, two chapters over, in 21, it talks about the priests in, in verse seven, that priests may not marry a woman defiled by prostitution. They may not marry a woman who is divorced from her husband. And then in nine, it says, if a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she also defiles her father's holiness and she must be burned to death. There's some pretty strong opinions of prostitution in the Israelite nation. And this is where Boaz came from. So he's the son of a prostitute and the son of, um, uh, son of Jacob, an Israelite. So he's born into a clashing family already to start with, but he chose, he chose not the side of his mother, but the side of his father to live under God's laws. He, he had to have learned from his childhood the laws. Uh, they all were taught the laws that, that were set forth for them in, in, as, as they grew up. And he knew what was commanded by God. And he, he lived in a time of judges so he also saw that people weren't following this. So he had plenty of opportunities to follow the pack, the herd of the people that weren't following the Lord, and, or you know, go after what God has, has set before him and follow his commandments. He had a choice, and he chose to follow the Lord's commandments. Even though those around him may not have been following them, he made that choice to follow.
So let's move on to um, verses 18 through 23 and finish this chapter up. So Ruth carried back into town and showed to her mother-in-law all that she had gleaned. And Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from the meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose fields she had worked. And she said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He is showed his, showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he says, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. When she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer, and all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. So, at the end of chapter one, Naomi was miserable. She even renamed herself Mara, which means bitter. She was like, done. God has forsaken me. The Almighty has forsaken me. And now, we see a completely new life back into Naomi's um, heart. She's, she's blessing everyone in the Lord's name. She's excited about what's going on with Ruth. And so, so we see her, uh, her spirits being lifted. And she says, well, Boaz, he's our family redeemer. So what's a family redeemer? Well, the Hebrew word for the family redeemer is goel. And it is written down in Numbers chapter 27, verses 8 through 11. Numbers chapter 27, verses 8 through 11. It says, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a man dies and has no son, then give his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter either, transfer his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brother, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. But if his father has no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan. This is a legal requirement for the people of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is the family redeemer. This is set, um, set apart or set aside for 
uh, the people of Israel to maintain the family lineage. And this was several hundred years prior to the situation, but God put it in place for a reason. And we get to find out later how our being grafted in, we get to be uh, redeemed as well. But if we can also turn to Deuteronomy 25, it's a little more um, explanatory on the, the kinsman redeemer or the family redeemer, uh, Deuteronomy 25. And it's through 10. If two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone other from outside the family. Instead, her husband's brother should marry her and have intercourse with her to fulfill the duties of the brother-in-law. The first son she bears to him will be considered the son of the dead brother so that his name will not be forgotten in Israel. But if the man refuses to marry his brother's widow, she must go to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refused to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law by marrying me. And the elders of the town will then summon him and talk to him. If he still refuses and says, I do not want to marry her, the widow must take o walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, and spit in his face. Then she must declare this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide his brother with children. Even ever afterward in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of the man whose sandal was pulled off. This comes into play later. So God set this, set this forth. Now he... He talks about this twice, in Numbers and in, in Deuteronomy. So here again, the Bible's repeating itself. So there's importance behind this, this, uh, this laws that are set forth here. So as Boaz is a, a uh, family redeemer, and Na um, Naomi's family is actually the family being redeemed. So... This is really a story that reflects our own redemption. Um, and we'll uh, dig more into that next week, but I just kind of wanted to um, go over a few things about our own redemption and how it mirrors what's going on uh, with Naomi and uh, Ruth and Boaz. So Naomi is adopted into the family. So let's look at 2 Samuel 14. Um, looks like 14, 16. No, I think I missed the chapter.
It's a covenant uh, that the Lord makes with David, uh, with Nathan. And I seem to have lost the chapter. Nathan rebukes him. Well, in this verse, it says that God says he will be his father and, his, and he will be his son. And he would, uh, he would uh, guide him and instruct him like a father would. And, he would, uh, and it would be forever. His kingdom would reign forever. His lineage would reign forever. So there was no end to this fatherhood that the Lord was establishing over David's family. So in this family, um, is, this is the family that we're adopted into. And First John, or John chapter one, Verse 12 and 13 talks about this adoption. John chapter one, 12 and 13. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So believing in him, we have the right to become children of God. And in Galatians uh, chapter four, verse four and five, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So like Ruth was adopted into Naomi's family, we're not adopted into David's family or into the, into the family of God's children. Um, Romans 8, 4 through 17. Let 
Oh, 14 through 17, sorry. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. So we're adopted now into, as children of God. So if we're Ruth in this story, we're adopted into the family, and the family is the family of David, which is the same. <laughs> it, Ruth is adopted into the family of David later on as well. So, um, so now we have Boaz, and Boaz is the redeemer. Um, and Titus 2.14 calls Christ the redeemer. It's way faster. It says he gave us, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people. To make us his very own people. So that's not the redeemer I was looking for. But in Isaiah 54, he's called the redeemer. And in Isaiah 62, he's called the redeemer. Or 47, he's called the redeemer. So Christ is Boaz, the redeemer in this story. We're the one adopted into the family. Now, Eventually, we'll see Boaz marrying Ruth, so Ruth is the bride of the Redeemer. So um, Christ talks about the church as the the, to, the ten uh, the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom. Those that was the, that was a parable talking about the church continuing to be filled and prepared for the bridegroom to return. Um, in Ephesians talks about that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church, which is turning, saying the church is, is in the same position, us, as a wife would be in a marriage, as the bride. Um, Revelations talks, talks about the bride being ready for the bridegroom in Revelations 19 and 21. So here's the family of Naomi, the Israelites, the Gentile, Ruth, and Boaz, the Redeemer. And through the marriage of Boaz to Ruth, everyone is redeemed. The, the, the family of Naomi is redeemed. Ruth is adopted into the family of Naomi. So that's how we're seeing the mirror of the story of redemption throughout the story of Ruth. So, 
Does anyone have any questions or comments? I, uh, I had some thoughts on this just so happens. <laughs> um, in fact, I was talking about this yesterday. We are doing a prayer ministry from somebody from New Jersey. And um, have you ever thought about this whole thing about predestination versus, you know, do you have any choice in, in your life? Free will. And if, if you want to study more on this, go, go look up John Calvin and the Armenians. The Calvinists were people who uh, believe you didn't have a choice. It's already settled. God knows who's going to be saved. He knows everything. But you didn't really have a choice. You're in or you're not in. And you can't do anything about it. That's the way it is. Your free will doesn't matter. Well, the Arminians didn't like that. And they really reconciled the sovereignty of God with man's free will. And, and most of us are in that process. of. But here's something that happened to me that I've thought about that I just like, do I really have any choice? Some of you know Miss Addie, right? She's my spiritual mama. Eight years before I became a pastor, I'm still working for GE Nuclear, right? I'm in New York working for GE Nuclear. Before I'm ever transferred down without a whole lot of choice to the nuclear site here at Castle Hain. And Addie has a vision of a white man that's going to, she has this vivid vision of a white man, sees his face with his glasses and his, she calls it his poof hair. And um, I had given up, I think I still have my plastic pocket protector at that time. And so, really nerdy. Anyway, so she has a vision of this white man who's going to take her on mission trips. Now, at that time, she's 60, she's in her 50s, right? She's 75 now. Uh, and she's never been outside the United States. She doesn't have a passport. But she has a vivid dream of a white guy. She belongs to the Firstborn Holiness Church. It's, I think it's, it's down the road. And well, the vineyard's here, right? And it's not even a vineyard. Well, I guess it was just starting to be a vineyard. And anyway, I get transferred. Addie has this vision of going. Nothing happens eight years later. She gets invited to come here from the firstborn church from a friend. And we're having, uh, Randy Clark happens to be here. And while we're there, um, she walks in. And she sees this associate pastor who had recently resigned from General Electric and had become the associate pastor, and she walks in, and she goes, my Lord, there's that guy. She had given up. She would actually bought a recorder to go on this mission trip. She was going to record the events she saw. She got so disappointed eight years later, she put it up in her closet, forgot where it was, and then she walks in, and she's, my God, there's the guy with the poof hair and the glasses. I hadn't had LASIK surgery yet or anything yet, right? And she's going, Lord, that's that man. I don't say anything where a couple weeks later I said, we're going on a mission trip. Well, she had asked God, God, if I'm going on a mission trip with that white guy, then um, where am I going? And she hears the word Brazil. She goes, she goes, I don't even know where Brazil is. She breaks out a map to find out where Brazil is. Why did I say that, Lord? And so, and I get up and I say, we're going on a mission trip to Brazil. Anybody wants to come, sign up. And so she signs up. Anyway. I said, Lord, if I'm going on that trip, what about you? She goes, you're going to go on this trip, and you're going to be on a bus full of white people, and you're going to be the only woman of color on this bus. And she goes, all right, Lord. Now, that all happened. And she doesn't tell me about that until after the Brazil trip. 
And she said, if I hadn't gone on that trip, because the next trip we went, I, I've now taken her, I think, to 28 mission fields. I, something we've lost track. But anyway, I don't like to travel anywhere outside the country without Miss Addie. And if, and if you understand, if we've ever even tried to be killed by warlocks, you'd understand why you want Miss Addie there. And so, anyway, so I just want to say that, did I have a choice in this matter? You know, Anyway, so I don't understand fully the whole predestination. I know God knows everything. He's sovereign. But look up John Calvin. Look up uh, the Arminians as well. Most people in the modern-day church today believe that we have free will, and, and I do. And that reconciliation of even though God knows the choices you're going to make, um, we know that right choices bring blessing. But there are scriptures Daniel shared today that like, hmm, he does work all things out together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So any other thoughts? Of anybody else have any something like, whoa, what happened to me? Or, I, I got a question. Uh, I got a question about uh, you said that she was raped. Uh, who said that? Boaz is his mother? No, Rahab was a prostitute. Prostitute, okay. Yes. Now, did, did you, oh, it was Tamar. It was right, right? Are you talking about the daughter of Jacob? David's daughter. I'm not sure. That wasn't, we didn't talk about that tonight. Oh, the question is, basically is, uh, I know that Bathsheba was raped by David and that Solomon came from there and, and that Jesus came from that lineage so, and then people, women that are being raped today, and then they're being, the babies are being killed. Right. You know, so. It was where you mentioned um, Simon and Levi, you said something about a prostitute and that their sister. Their sister, yeah, uh, Deb Deborah. Well, the law is one of the, the, one of the pro-choice arguments is you ought to be able to abort a child. But I remember recently seeing a woman whose mother chose not, even though she was a victim, the mother was a victim of rape, chose not to abort her daughter. And she stood up. She's a major advocate of, I'm glad my mother gave me life, right? And so um, what's amazing about the, the lineage of, think about this. We know that Rahab is spared because she hides the spies. Remember, they go into Jericho. Uh, she could have turned them in. She chose not to. She risks her own life and hides the spies, lies to the authorities there, and they promise her. She says, I'll do this, but you've got to spare me when you all come because I know you're coming to attack Jericho. He says, well, put your red cord out the window, and all of your family that is with you when we attack, if they're not there, you, they're toast, right? And so, my version. And so, when, when the, we know that she becomes part of the family of the Jewish family. Something happened in that uh, transition of the woman of ill repute being involved in that family, the Jewish family, that affects that son to such a degree. He's such a man of character. I mean... How did Boaz become such a man of character? There had to be such a major influence of, first of all, Rahab, if you listen to the archaeologist, the way 
Jericho was destroyed. You'd think when the walls fell down, they would go this way or that way. No, it was like an elevator. When they dug up, they found that the walls, the, the ground opened and the walls went down. And so she's probably sitting on the upper wall with her and, and all the soldiers come. She tells that story to her children and the impact of that has such an impact on the character of that individual that he becomes this great man of character. And so, but then when you think of the other Gentiles, I was just looking in Romans 9 and Romans 11. If you want to look at being adopted into the family, right? He says we're the wild olive branch in, in Romans 11, that we've been grafted into the family. A people who were not my people have now become my people. So I love the scriptures Daniel shared about being in Galatians. Galatians 3 where he says, you've been part of the Abrahamic covenant. You are now children. It's, it's not by blood. It's by faith, right? And so it's just a great story of doesn't matter where you've come from, the Redeemer can redeem you. <laughs> that Amen. is good news for us. Amen. Amen. Other questions? In, in the Bible, it says that you cannot marry anybody but Jews if you're Jewish. And she was definitely not Jewish, but she was in, in the uh, lineage of Jesus. So that's always been a difficult thing for me to understand. Well, she married a Jew outside of Israel. They were in Moab. Well, they, they left Israel. They left the covering of God. They left their people to a foreign nation. They weren't allowed to do that either. There's the, but they did because of the famine, right? They were in the midst of, of judges when these people were waxing and waning in their relationship with God, right? So they were in and out of this relationship with God. And while they were out of relationship with him, now they, they consecrate this marriage. So they bring this unconsecrated marriage back in with them. So. Yeah. There's another one that's intriguing. Remember in Romans, uh, in uh, Numbers 12, where Miriam, Moses' older sister, and Aaron, the high priest, the older brother of Moses, even though Moses is the man in charge God selected, he decides to marry the Cushite woman. And obviously he's talked to God about, Moses has talked to God about this. And some believe the Cushite woman is from Ethiopia, is a black woman. And that is what gets the high priest and, his, and the prophetess all upset. Why is our brother doing this? Don't, don't we hear from God? And God just doesn't like it. And he calls them all on the carpet, and Miriam gets leprosy, <laughs> and uh, Moses intercedes for him, and Aaron hits the fleet, and he repents. And so the point is, what does God say? He's in charge, right? Jim. Um, when I was young, I, uh, I was really young, and I joined the Navy, which is a good thing, you know, it's, in case you ever wanted to go in the military, it's good to join the Navy if you're going to join the Navy. So in a sense, I was adopted in. I wasn't born in the Navy. I, was, I joined the Navy. And you guys know of many organizations. You go to Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, some kind of Scouts. You're adopted in. You're accepted, you know. And I was just thinking about a thing in the old, in, I think it's the, uh, one of the, uh, one of the stories in the Bible, it talks about this young gentleman, and he is the son of his father. 
And then he goes out and does something real silly. And you all might catch this story if you've read the Bible once in a while. He goes something like this. The young son says, you know, Dad, I love being with you. You're all right. But I want all my wealth. I want everything you've ever stored up. And I want you to give it to me now. It's like a J.G. Wentworth commercial. I want my money. I want it now. And he takes all of it. And, you know, I guess you all know this story and how it works. But for those who don't know, he takes all that money and he wastes it. His entire inheritance. He wastes it. And, and you guys know how the story works, don't you? It's J.G. Wentworth. You wasted all your money. Now you got nothing. So once he got nothing, what did he do? He went back to his dad, didn't he? And he said, what did he say? Did anybody remember that? Oh, maybe, maybe I can go become a servant with my dad. He was no longer his father's son. He was gone. He had spent his inheritance. He wasn't his father's son. So what does God show us in that story? He then gets adopted into his own family. So. The Redeemer. All right, well, thanks, guys. And then next week we'll get into chapter 3 and 4 and finish this up. Uh, Miriam, have anything? Did you want to say something? All right. All right, well. Uh, we'll just, uh, we just close this night out in prayer and just, Lord, we just ask you to bless uh, what we did tonight and uh, your words. And we just thank you for uh, just what you're uncovering and what you're putting in our hearts uh, through your word and how the story unfolds and the love that you have for us and how you've adopted us in. We just thank you for the opportunity. We know that if we just continue seeking you and can seeking what you have for us, that you'll work all things out for our good. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. All right, everybody, good night. Thank you, guys.